are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Let's turn now in the Bible this morning to uh, three places. I want to turn to the third chapter of the book of Matthew, first of all. Then we are going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now you can either look at the places, all of them are, listen carefully please to the reading of God's Word. Perhaps you ought to turn to Matthew chapter 3, look upon the Bible as we read, then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to speak to you this morning on a very serious subject out of the Bible. I hope and pray to God that you let the Lord speak to your heart. It is so easy to be um, hearers of the Word and not doers. It also is easy not even to hear the Word. It is easy to let the seed, the eternal seed, fall upon stony ground, and never take root. May God bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. Matthew chapter 3. Those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In the same John had his raiment of camel's hair, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees Come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit, meat for repentance. Think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now the, also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now in verse 11, the latter part of the verse, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 12 in just three or four verses. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, 
Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which is built thereon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Now in verse 13, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, a most blessed and a most, a most serious of three or four verses of Scripture. In verse 7, To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall be, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if I were to attach to my message today to you a subject, it would be this, meeting God in the fire. I never think of this teaching in the Scriptures, meeting God in the fire, that I do not think of something that happened to the great man of God, Dr. Reuben Archer Torrey. Dr. Torrey, you know, was an attorney. He did not believe in the Lord. But one day God got a hold of him, sitting one night in his motel room with a pistol in his briefcase. He reached and took that gun and put it to his temple and was ready to end his life. For this man with a brilliant mind felt that life was in vain. But the words of a godly mother came to him. He held a pistol to his head. His mother had said to him years before, Reuben, some of these days, God is going to speak to you, and in the darkest hour of your life, God will come to you, and God will be merciful unto you. And the words of his mother caused him to lower the gun and turn to God, and Reuben Torrey was wonderfully saved. But Reuben Torrey didn't know too much about the Bible. He didn't know too much about the power of God. He didn't know too much about how the Holy Spirit of God who indwells the believer, wants to fill that believer and empower that believer. One day in the Moody Church, he noticed a little track laying on the floor. That track was called Meeting God in the Fire. He picked it up and put it on a pew. He ignored it. He went on about it. The janitor came along, found it on the pew. Meeting God in the fire. He took it and put it upon the pulpit. Once again, Reuben Powery's eyes fell upon that little track, meeting God in the fire, lying upon the pulpit. He picked it up. He began to read it, and he read in that little track, 
The verses that I've read to you this morning, meeting God in the fire, Reuben Torrey said, Oh, if I must meet God in the fire, then this is a serious matter. And he began to study about meeting God in the fire. Now let me say to you this morning, every one of us must meet God in the fire. The Bible plainly teaches this. Every one of us must meet God in the fire. Lot met God in the fire. When Lot was down in Sodom, out of the will of God, one day God burned everything upon which Lot had put the emphasis. Lot was a Christian. Lot saw, he stood and watched his whole life's activity burned to the ground in ashes and embers. Lot met God in the fire. You know, the Hebrew children met God in the fire. In the city of Babylon, because of their conviction, they were thrown in the fiery furnace. But what a blessed experience meeting God in the fire. While they walked in that that seven times heated furnace, that was the form of the fourth who walked with them. And his likeness was like that of the Son of God. They met God in the fire. Isaiah had to meet God in the fire. So will you. Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord high and lifted up in his train filled the temple. He talked about the holy angels and the holiness of God. Then he cried, Woe is me! I've seen the glory of God. Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then one of those holy angels went to the burning altar, took from off the altar a burning, live, fiery coal, and put it upon his lips and burned his lips. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. He had to meet God in the fire. So do every one of us. We must meet God in the fire. Now John the Baptist who came preaching said, There cometh one after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm unworthy, I'm not worthy to unloose. He said, I indeed baptize you under repentance. You're getting saved. You're coming. You're believing. You're being baptized. You're being saved. But there cometh one after me who shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. You know, that took place on the day of Pentecost. The people were baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Cloven tongues of fire came and sat upon them, and they met God in the fire. Now, let's not, not let's be, if we can, scriptural about it. Baptism with the Holy Ghost means that when you're saved, you are immediately, instantaneously, in one tremendous act, you're baptized into the body of Christ. That's what took place on the day of Pentecost. Nobody spoke in unknown tongues on the day of Pentecost. A man spoke in a known tongue, and nationalities of people, more than a dozen of them, heard him and understood him. Nobody spoke in an unknown tongue. But there was a mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues of fire. Fire in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Until that day, there had been no such thing as a body of Christ. There had been an elect nation of Islam 
but no body of Christ. But that day, 3,000 were saved, were baptized into one body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that day, the Holy Spirit came like a burning fire. Now, wait a minute. I'm saying to you, when you're saved, you're automatically, uh, you're baptized into the body of Christ when you're saved. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not a subsequent work. It is not a second blessing. It is a thing that takes place, an act of God. When you're saved, you're baptized into the body. You become a member of the body of Christ. But now wait just a minute. You read down in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now that is something that took place when they met God in the fire. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, it's not a one-time proposition, one baptism into the body of Christ, but many fillings. You read again in Acts chapter 4, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God again. Ephesians 5, 18 says to every one of us, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be ye filled in with the Spirit. You see, there is one baptism. He comes into twelve. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. But there are many fillings, and there is a need for a daily filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Yes, we need to meet God in the power of Pentecost. Now, it does not mean that when this takes place in our lives, cloven, visible tongues of fire, which was a sign to a people which had no completed Bible, we don't need signs. We have a completed revelation. And the Bible says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, 4. Acts 4:31. They were filled again with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 4:31, a few days at least, maybe even longer, after Pentecost, the very same thing took place. You never say, but once you need to be filled many times and stay filled all the time. We need to meet God in the fire of Pentecost. Now listen, you don't have to meet God somewhere. You meet him in the fire of Pentecost and meet him rightly. Then the fiery furnace will hold no fear for you. Every one of us must meet God in the fire. There are some questions I like to think about. What does fire do? And what happened to the believers who were baptized? with the fire of Pentecost. What happened to the believers who were filled, now listen to me, who were filled with the Holy Ghost of God? Now you know the Bible says, fire refines. Fire refines. God only knows how we need that refining today. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, which by the way, in the Old Testament prophesied the forerunner, John the Baptist, whose words we read this morning, came along before Jesus and said, I baptize you with water uh, under repentance, uh, because you've repented, but there cometh one after me who shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, and fire refines. And in that same passage of Malachi, the Bible said he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, and he shall sit as a refiner, 
and purifier of silver. Now you know, we need to think about what God does for us. He did it at Calvary. But we need to think about what God wants to do in us. He wants to do it right now. He wants to let the Holy Spirit of God have his refining work in us. You know, I was thinking this morning about something this school has emphasized from day one. For 27 years, we've emphasized Christian character. We've emphasized character in the school. Are you listening, young ladies? You're the ones that need to hear about character. People that talk when a man of God is preaching the holy book of God who evidently don't have much character. I'm saying to you, character is the, is the difference. Character is the determination between people. It's the determinant. Do you know, folks, you can be saved and not have a problem full of character. And we, we pray to God in this school that before a person ever walks across the platform and has the robe and the cap and it receives a diploma, we pray to God they'll have character. You know, Jesus saved your soul by his death on the cross. But the Holy Spirit, if you let him, if you listen to him, can give you character. I don't care what you have. You have all the talent in the world. You can sing like a mockingbird. You can preach like uh, the, uh, the uh, man of power. But if you don't have character, you'll never be a success. The Holy Spirit of God, oh, he does that refining work. When silver is heated, all the gold, all the fallen particles, all of that which is not silver comes to the surface and is skimmed away. That is the refining God's talking about. Oh, that we would let God do his refining work. You know, the pity is so many people don't want that. They think of um, giving up happiness, giving up peace, giving up joy, giving up the excitement of living. Oh, no, my friends, I have news for you. You're never going to have happiness and the joy of living as a Christian until God refines you. Fire refines. I, in studying some years ago, the life and times of William Shakespeare, I came upon a tremendous example. You know, when Shakespeare was born in the, the early 1600s, 1616, plagues swept across England. The Black Plague, people literally died by the thousands. Few children ever reached teenage. And if a person lived in his fifties, he lived a long life. Later, people began to live a little longer. But the plague got thousands of people. During the plague, one time in London, 1,100 people a week died of the plague. They closed all public buildings. All the wheels of work ceased to roll. Everybody was occupied with one thing. Take care of the sick, bury the dead, try to escape the plague. But one night London caught on fire. And much of London burned to the ground. 
And when London was burned, the plague ceased. You see, that's what fire does. Fire refines. Fire! Fire burns out. Oh, the cross and the particles. Oh, listen, we need that today. Let me tell you, when, the, when God's fire burns in you, you quit your gossiping. When the fire of God burns in you on the altar of your soul, you start to be real. When the fire of God burns in your heart, you will, you'll start to be unselfish. The refining, oh, fire refines, fire illuminates and guides. How the Bible illustrates that. When the Lord would leave the children of Israel for 40 years, when they came by blood out of Egypt, God said, Now a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night will lead you through this awful journey in the wilderness. And the Bible said the fire, the cloud by day and the fire by night departed not from them during the whole 40 years. No, fire illuminates and guides Numbers 9, 16. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Now, there's a verse in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You say, preacher, are you trying to say that if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you're not a son of God. I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just repeating what God's already said. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Go on. Rebel against God's will for your life. Go on and say, I'll run my own life, rule my own spirit, have my own way. But let me tell you, this holy Bible says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That's what it says. Oh, yes, fire illuminates and guides. I could give you many personal illustrations. I was raised without electric lights, the old-fashioned kerosene lamp and the little old kerosene lantern by night. How many a time? Have I carried a lantern and walked miles? And many times after dark, dumb chores, carrying a, li a lantern. Uh, it would throw light on my pathway. I remember reading years ago the story of the, when the mighty storm came and blew out and tore down and washed away the little bridge. There was a man that night away from home who must cross that bridge. The night was as dark as an Egyptian midnight. The storm had a swayed. Now the man must cross the bridge and he cannot see. So in the darkness of the night, with a fire on his lips and in his heart, he walked across the bridge and arrived safely at home. The next morning the sun came out and they looked at the bridge and to his, his dismay and bewilderment, he saw the bridge was all gone except the narrow place. And in the darkness of the night, God guided him mercifully across that narrow place to walk. Oh, I was thinking today how many times in my life when I've said, Oh, Lord, I know not which way to go. I want you to guide me. I want that blessed, sweet, heavenly dove 
who lives in my heart and my body. I want you to guide my footsteps. You know, sometimes I've been bewildered. Sometimes God guided my footsteps out to an open grave. And I looked at somebody I love like a little sweet child. Sometimes the Holy Spirit guided my footsteps to a place of tears and disappointment. Let me tell you, my friends, this morning, the power of God illuminates and guides your life. We need that. He should baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, fire makes warm. Ah, yes, I could give you some illustration about that, too. I am, I'm amazed at some of stats. In fact, I wish somebody had turned that one down about 10 degrees this morning. But we never knew what one was. We had the old open fireplace. You cut the wood and, and, um, my grandfather had a peculiar idea that a fire ought to have what he called a back stick. That was the biggest one you could get. And sometimes logs this big around, uh, would be cut. And take two or three men to carry them. They'd lay that right in the back. Then smaller wood in front, you'd build a fire, and the back stick could last several days. Every night. Old farmhouse, there were cracks in the floor. My sweet old grandmother used to sweep the floor, and she'd sweep it to a crack here, and the crack there, and all of a sudden, you'd hear the chickens on the house going, they were looking for whatever grandma was sweeping between the cracks. So every night we'd take a shovel and cover all of that up, that fire. Take a shovel and hit the ashes and put it up on the flames and hit the ashes and put it on the flames until there was nothing but ashes. The flames would die down. The next morning, about four o'clock, it would be as cold as a Siberian frontier in that house. And you'd go and you'd take a poker and you'd dig in the ashes and turn up the live coals and lay on the, the kindling and rekindle the fire. And in the moment you'd hear the cracking of the fire and see the light of the fire and feel its warmth. What a wonderful feeling. You know, we need a warming. We need a warming. This is a day of cold hearts. This is a day of intelligent Christians. And quote the Bible by the yard, but their hearts are cold. This is a day of fundamentalism, but cold hearts. You know, Ecclesiastes 4.11 says something about how can one be warm alone? Neither can you. You need a lover. You need the Holy Spirit of God. Second Kings chapter 4, verse 34. This is illustrated. A woman's child died and she sent for the man of God. Took him up into the upper chamber, closed the door, stretched himself upon him. And the Bible said, in a little while, the body came warm. The man of God, with God's power, lay upon a dead corpse. And warmth came. We need that warmth. I want to ask you something. I don't believe in crocodile tears, but I want to ask you, how long has it been since you've shed a tear about the work of God? How long has it been since your heart was so warm that you wept over the blessings of God or the condition of your own heart and soul? Fire makes warm. Fire imparts energy. You can't serve God without fire. No way. No way. It's fire in a little compartment about like this, in the huge locomotive, in a relatively small compartment, 
They throw the coal and throw the coal, and the fire burns, and the big wheels begin to turn, and literally thousands of tons of weight are pulled out of the fire in a little box. Let me tell you, there's a little fire box in every one of you and in me. We need to let God kindle that fire till it imparts, imparts energy to us. All right, now let's move on. I say we've got to meet God somewhere in the fire. First Corinthians chapter 3. God talks about in this chapter the judgment seat of Christ. Hear me? Do you ever think of it? Do you think of it? Or do you just think, oh, I'm saved, everything's lovely. Do as I please, live like I please, do what I want to do, and someday I'm going to heaven. Happy am I? Oh, no. There's more to it than that. Yeah, you're going to heaven, but there's a judgment seat. And then at that judgment seat, every man's work shall be made manifest. Now hear it, for the day shall declare it. It's going to be revealed if you're a liar. It's going to be revealed if you're lazy and you won't work. It's going to be revealed if you cheat God. Every man's work should be made manifest. Listen to it. Listen, this is the Bible. You believe the Bible? This is what God said. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare, here's what I want you to look at, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall cry every man's work. Here it is, of what sort it is. Now that, that's the serious part. God's holy fire at the judgment seat. Now be no sinners at the judgment seat. It's going to be me and you. It's going to be us, us saved people. It's going to be... The fundamentalists, the Bible believers, the children of God. And the Lord's going to take all our work and put it in the fire. If it's gold and silver, it'll stand. If it's wood, hay, and hay, and stubble, it'll burn. Do you know God's going to try your motives? I had to ask myself this morning before I came to this pulpit, why am I preaching? Why? For whom am I preaching? Why am I a pastor? Why am I in Christian education? Why? For whom am I doing this? I won't tell you right now. I wouldn't do it for me. I'm too selfish and mean to do it for me. I'd do something else. I'd get me a chain of filling stations make some money. Or some stores. Or be a stockbroker. Or a crook. Or a bookie. I wouldn't do it for me. By the way, the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say is, you're preaching for money. I am on the biggest failure this world has ever seen. <laughs> Listen, brother, don't ever go into it for money. That's heartache road. Don't ever do that. You can make more money digging ditches than you can preaching. But I tell you, the Lord supply you needs, but that's another subject. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why? There's all, there must be only one answer to my motive. It's to please the Lord. Every man's work shall be tried of what sort it is. And that word sort means manner. What manner of work are you doing? Oh, yeah. You, uh, you teach a class, drive a bus, you knock on some doors, you win some souls, some do, few. You preach, you sing, why? Boy, it just 
It just tickles my soul. I just enjoy it. That's not a good reason. It's for the glory of God. In the Moody Church many years ago, a leading singer said, I don't believe I've ever sung a solo in my life for God. I've sung for myself. Sometimes while I'm preaching, the thought comes to me, Oh, Tom, please try to do it so it honor the Lord. I never sung a solo for God in my life, she said. I've always sung for myself. You know, the Bible said someday that work going to be laid out. You know, I think what I'm thinking about is reality in the Christian. A lot of people are faking, faking, faking. They make a big smile and uh, shining eyes. Going to get you by. Oh, no. That's faking it. There's got to be some reality right down here. And you know, reality is something you can't fake. If a person's not real, it's evidence. Listen, friends, we better get down to reality where we're thinking and praying about number one and saying, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any, uh, know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The judgment seat. For we must all appear before the judgment seat that we may receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. I stood in the ruins of Corinth numerous times. There's a place there it's called the Bema, the E-M-A. The Bema was the judgment seat in Corinth, where people were brought and the judge, the judges stood, and the person was tried and sentenced and examined. And when Paul wrote this letter, to the Corinthian church, he thought of the Bema. He said, for we must all appear before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, to receive the things done in the body. I have been a time or two in my life when people watch their homes burn. I have seen the tragic look upon the face of people when they stood shuddering in each other's arms and watch everything burn to the ground. I preached a few years ago of four beautiful children, brothers and sisters, all who were burned one night in the home. There was uh, uh, one young man that was not able to get out, and he had a younger brother come in to help him, and did help him, and he got out, the younger brother died. And he was the only one, five children. One was spared, and he was at the funeral. And he had bandages on him. And he had to have help to walk. And the saddest face I've ever seen. He said to his mother, Mom, I wish I'd been one of those. He said, it's harder to see everything burn. My loved ones burn. Said I'd give anything if I had been the one. If little brother had not come back, if he'd stayed out, I wish I'd have been the one. Let me tell you, it's going to be a sad day when Christians stand at the judgment seat of Christ and God begins to sort it all out. That's not real. 
That's, that's wood, hay, and stubble, set it afire. Maybe a little silver and gold. Some burn it all up. Dr. John R. Rice used to say, suppose, I was in the audience one time, he said, suppose Tom Moon's house here near the church caught fire and all of his family were burned. Suppose I'd come to him and I'd say, now, Tom, you know, you didn't get burned. You were spared. Your life was spared. And uh, I know you're glad. And we ought to go out and have a big steak dinner and celebrate because you weren't burned up. Dr. Rice would say, no. Tom would say, no. I don't feel like eating steak because I've seen everything I love gone. I've seen everything. So I put my emphasis, all burned. That's the way you're going to be. Let me tell you, oh yes, you're going to heaven. You're just as sure of heaven as if you were already there. But between here and heaven, there is a dema, the judgment seat, where man's death shall be caught. Listen, I beg of you this morning, let the fire of God burn self out of your heart until you're real. There's a third fire, and that's the fire of eternal doom. Do you recover rest with us? When the Lord Jesus shall appear with all his holy angels, taking vengeance upon them that know not God. In flaming fire, taking vengeance upon them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes. Some folks say, well, that's figurative. You know, that's kind of dumb. Now, really. Uh, you know, if, if this is a figure, flaming fire, if that's the figure, my, the real things will be a lot worse than flaming fire. You see, if you think you can explain away hell by saying, well, that fire is figurative. No. You're just saying, well, it's a lot worse than even it says it is. You follow me? I don't think you do, but anyhow, that's true. You can't explain it away. Some wise acre, you know, educated beyond intelligence and Rationalist, that's why uh, that language in the Bible is figurative. Listen, if the Bible says it's a worm and it's figurative, if, that, if the worm is figurative, you better be prepared for both and sister. And if flaming fire is figurative, you better be prepared for hot lava. Oh no. Somebody says, well, God's too merciful. There's no conflict between mercy and judgment. You're going to meet God in the fire somewhere. You'll meet him in the fire of the fullness of his Holy Spirit. You'll meet him at the judgment seat of Christ. Or you'll meet him in the fire of eternal doom. It actually happened in Blackpool, England years ago. A man demented and not real, not real normal mentally. His house caught on fire. The fire department was some ways away, and a demented man wrote a postcard and sent it and said, My house is on fire. It's an actual historical fact. They received the car. They went just about two, two days later, and sure enough, burned to ashes and embers. You better not send a postcard about this. You better come yourself. You better come up to God and say, Now, Lord, i got to meet you in the fire. I want it to be like it was. When you walk with the three Hebrew children, you'd burn out all the dross. 
I want my work to be right. So that at the judgment seat, when it started out, God will say, gold and silver, and it will stand all the test of eternity. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.